Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed, and this particular episode is Q's of the Force. What does Q stands for? Questions. I'm not even making jokes, because we got some fun things to talk about. So we're just calling the show what it is. Q's stands for questions. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. 
I'm Ken Napsuck, happy to be direct, answering some questions of the force. And the force, I guess, is our wonderful Force Center friends, our listeners of this show. Yeah, exactly. Maybe someday we'll decide that this show is actually questions of the force uh, with a question mark. And then we can all do our, our anchorman Jerry Lewis jokes of questions of the force. Yeah, very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Uh, we want to let you know that, as always, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles and growing to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We are recommending Padawan by Kirsten White. Enjoy it while you can, because we are finally reading this book. Soon we will be discussing it, and we'll start recommending the other Star Wars books that have come out that we're behind on. But for now, Padawan by Kirsten White. Again, you can download that free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash center. One more time, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. And now, Ken, uh, we have another bit of business that we're adding to the top of some of our shows and that is a, a call to action, a force center call to action. Uh, our listeners, uh, our viewers on YouTube are so supportive. And we realize that we need to get better about just setting goals <laughs> and uh, letting people know what we're shooting for and throwing out the request to help us reach that goal. So, Ken, do you want to share the goal? Absolutely. We've been having a lot of fun uh, being a little bit more active on YouTube. That happened. A little backstory. When we switched to Acast, they have a thing that automatically loads audio versions of your show to YouTube. So we put that up there. That started to sort of kick the tires, kick the rust off our YouTube channel. <laughs> present for a bit. Uh, we had put some stuff up there before. Uh, so we are trying to focus on the YouTube channel, especially going into 2023. Been enjoying doing the live Q&As. And we have other things, not just we've been talking about it, but plans, pen to paper of other content exclusive to YouTube up there. So we want you to be part of that. Our call to action is to get our subscriptions up. And we're going with a nice uh, a nice humble number here. We're currently at about 6,350 subscriptions. We'd love to get up to 6,500. So, yes, does it sound like a telethon? Yeah, it is. It's a telethon <laughs> to increase our presence and grow our community on YouTube there. So if you want to go head over to the YouTube page, search at Force Center, and you can just hit that subscription button there. Ring that bell if you want to get the notification, all those fun things. And we're trying to get to 6,500 subscriptions uh, soon there on YouTube. That is great. A great summary. Uh, we have to have a sense of humor about it. It does feel like what's it going to take to get us into 6,500 subscribers field on YouTube? Uh, well, the first thing it might take is actually asking. Uh, so thank you all uh, for listening to our call of action. Uh, any other thoughts before we get into our cues? Uh, no, if, uh, we'll say this podcast is always the first and foremost on our mind and in our souls. We are uh, broadcasters at heart, but we're gonna have, we have a lot of fun things planned over there. And there's some great stuff already up there. Some of the in memoriams, past videos, Star Wars show and tell, the live Q and A's, a lot there. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't taken a swing over there. Yeah, the commentaries for a couple of the Star Wars movies uh, that we did back in your old apartment, Ken. Um, <laughs> some really fun stuff. And yeah, very excited about a few of the fun plans we have coming. So with that, we're going to get into our cues. We got two from Twitter, two from our patrons on Patreon, as always. Uh, we go first to Twitter and Blake Harper. Blake says, now that we have met Pav T and Nakheel, do you think Ahsoka went back home to meet them? We've seen that Jedi have very loose rules and essentially leave it to the individual Jedi to place their own level of attachment to the past. Yadi Mundi and Dooku had direct ties to home. 
Obi-Wan, despite being unbreakable, clearly thought about his family. In The Mandalorian, Ahsoka appears to be traumatized by attachment, but then with Luke seems to soften. Being that she is no Jedi and presumably feels a little free of the dogmas while living through the atrocities of the Empire, there is a lot of reasons for Ahsoka to go home. Do you think she would? Oh, man. Uh, Blake, thank you for this question because it's it's a great direct question that's been on my mind that I wanted to talk about on our Tales of the Jedi uh, review episode, but, but we ran out of time. This great direct question of, we've met Ahsoka's parents. Do you think she'd ever go back to them, to her village? There's that direct question that Blake has asked. But also, I feel like in this question, he's also brought up about 72 topics I'm interested in in Star Wars. This is a great question for me, Kim. Yeah, well, uh, let me uh, say this stuff here, and then I'm excited to hear some of your topics that emerge. I absolutely want her to because her heart seems that deep, right? She's always kind of been that person. And yes, there's some big themes of attachment and how to deal with it. And she goes through a lot of things. And I think that's uh, when I, my overall answer is, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. But the question of did I, did I has, do I think she has or, or, or has that already happened and we just haven't seen it yet? That's a big, still a big question mark for me. And I think he's po- poke, uh, poking at a, a great uh, little uh, revelation of just her change from Mando to where we see her with Luke and Grogu a little bit later on in Book of Boba Fett. So that could be a window. And that's what it came down to me was these windows. Seems mm. like she could face that test or want to just simply see them. Mm-hmm. By the way, like, oh, hey, the rules are out. I want to go see my folks. Uh, but it could come off as a test. And there's a... It was a window of time where around the end of the Clone Wars, around around the uh, little leaving the Jedi Order type stuff where she, uh, don't get me wrong, seems a little listless, right? Mm-hmm. She's still a Jedi in spirit, but perhaps not in the bigger fight yet. Uh, that's part of what Tales of the Jedi deals with and and the book by E.K. Johnston dealt with about her coming back into the fight. And that's a window which I could see her uh, going to visit her family or just going back to home world. Uh, but perhaps... At that particular time, she fears she'd stay or fail the challenge. I don't know what's going on. Uh, or another thought, too, that I had is just simply bring a danger to them if she feels it's not safe for her to go back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's following me? Who's watching me? I don't want to do that. So that's a big answer about how. And then perhaps in the window right after all that where she maybe, hey, I feel a little safer to go back or definitely, no, I'd, I'd pass the test here. Uh, I'm Galadriel. I'm not going to take the ring of power. I'm not going to fall for attachment. <laughs> but uh, she still sees that the, hey, the bigger fight is going on and that's maybe maybe more important. And therefore, coming back and reconnecting could hurt those that she loves there because she still might have to uh, uh, leave. Even if she's just passing through, hey, mom and dad, I'm here for a lunch. They might be like, yay, oh my gosh, things have changed. You're back. And hey, it's not the time to do that because um, you might, uh, you might have your hearts might be broken. Mine will be, uh, my heartstrings pulled on and there's still a bigger fight at hand. No, I, I really agree with uh, a lot of these thoughts and we'll, we'll talk about the direct question, the direct Ahsoka of it. And then, and then maybe get into a couple of the other little uh, tidbits that I'm, that I'm interested in, Let's in Blake's, uh, Blake's question. But yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think that she would Ahsoka, even though she's listless, you know, up until she accepts the call in the Ahsoka novel and in the Tales of the Jedi episode, she accepts the call from Bail that her help is needed. Uh, whatever she feels about her connection to the Jedi as a title, as a label, she clearly still believes in the philosophy that she herself espoused in in the Clone Wars that that her, her role is to help people. Yeah, 
in that that's the most essential definition of a Jedi to her. Um, so she she responds to that call of action, but I totally agree with you that I feel like before that call of action, she would not want to risk visiting her parents. You know, she knows that just if anybody discovers her being a Jedi, it is a risk or even a force user, it is a risk to the people that she's around. Um, not good times, not good times. No, not good times, not good times. Um, she experiences it, you know, uh, viscerally, then in both versions of her her responding to the call of action, the the Ahsoka novel and the, the Filoni Tales of Jedi episode, which, again, you know, we, we talked about those changes, and I know they don't sit right with everybody, but for me, the essential thing is, like, when we're having these fun conversations about Ahsoka and where's her heart at, the the heart of the story of Ahsoka's decision is similar. And I think when she says like, okay, you're right, Bale, I need to step up. Now there's a target on her back because she's a Jedi and she's an early rebel, right? So she's got two doses of danger to bring back home if she's even thinking about it, right? So Eddie Money song, I think. Two doses of danger. Yeah, Yeah, there's uh, Dire Straits with uh, some CGI, right? Uh, Video. Um, Yeah, so I, I... I can see a story happening and I'd be happily, I would happily eat my Star Wars hat and say I'm wrong. But that's Mm. my initial thought is that she would be concerned about putting them in risk. Now, this examination that that Blake's starting of where is she at with attachment? I think Mm. that's really great. I think it speaks to what might be at stake in the uh, Ahsoka show. Yeah. I I think a chunk of the Ahsoka show, my guess which again, I could be wrong. I might have many hats to eat uh, that a chunk of the Ahsoka show will take place between her appearance in Mandalorian and her appearance in Mm. Book of Boba Fett and then move forward into uh, her going to get Sabine as we saw at the end of Rebels and the the search for Ezra. Um, Because I feel like she is wrestling with attachment. That's that's the key thing she's wrestling with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In her appearance in Mandalorian... Uh, she is clearly sort of following some of the general, this is how a Jedi handles themselves. This is how a Jedi handles conflict, right? Uh, but she has that really dark and ominous, you know, Grogu's too attached to you. I can't train him. You know, attachment has led to even the best of us falling, which seems like she's really ruminating and dealing with Anakin's fall to the dark side. Mm, mm. And then in her appearance with Book of in Book of Boba Fett with Luke, um, she seems much more uh, centered uh, about Anakin, right? And, and kind of wistfully, uh, but almost more kindly and happily saying so much like your father, right? Mm. But there is still a thing about attachment, right? Because she she's kind of watching Luke make his decision. It's his decision about Grogu. Um, but when she leaves, Luke says, will I see you again? And it's almost like Luke wrestling with attachment a little bit. Definitely. And I can't remember exactly what she says, but she's kind of like, maybe, maybe not. Don't worry about it, you know? And it seems like she's still following an idea of attachment is something to be aware of, you know? Yeah. Not to obsess on, but to be aware of is still there. Um, and I think that there's still hope for the uh, the campfire scene <laughs> yeah. between Luke and Ahsoka, where Luke tells her what, what actually was the final moments of Anakin Skywalker. Maybe we're going to see Anakin Skywalker actually appear to Ahsoka and, and guide her in a, in a, Mm. in a moment of time. But I feel like Ahsoka's relationship to what happened to Anakin 
and what does that mean about how she feels about the idea of attachment, the power of it, the risk of it, that something has shifted a little bit between her appearance in Mandalorian and her appearance in Book of Boba Fett. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm going to go to a quote uh, to, to support this, this thought. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so on... Yeah, now now we're getting into full like like you said on our our new show this episode of uh full full Jennifer Landa you know <laughs> research um Jedi beat old Jedi beat episode stuff uh yeah. in the year 2022 on October 26th Dave Filoni <laughs> gave an interview uh to the Nerdist uh website uh mostly talking about Tales of the Jedi and and we ended up talking about that there was a kind of some lightning rod stuff about the adaptation of the Ahsoka novel. But there's this really interesting passage about Ahsoka that I'm uh, read here, Ken. Mm. Uh, Filoni uh, said about Ahsoka and her journey in the tales of the Jedi story, uh, in a time of need, she can't idly sit by and let people suffer. She's going to have to stand up for it, uh, whether she has a weapon or not. She realizes this call to action, that this must be happening everywhere. Everywhere. What in the world am I doing sitting here with an ability to help uh, with the power to do something? She commits to it, and it's hard, Filoni says. And then mm. he continues. It's a thing that weighs heavily on her. That choice then cascades into everything that happens in Rebels and beyond. Mm. Because in Rebels, she realizes some pretty dire truths, not just about the Jedi, but about her master in particular. A shocking truth that she wasn't prepared for at all, Mm. which is going to call into question everything about her in a very real way. I really interpreted that as Filoni saying, yep, when you saw her in Mandalorian, she was still a mess about Anakin. And her journey forward for herself is going to be about wrestling with Anakin's fall. I feel like that quote from Filoni is, hey guys, here's a part of the logline for the Ahsoka show. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you asking me or the audience? Uh, (laughs) I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) I I am really excited about that because I think uh, it's always been one of my favorite things. One of my one of my favorite moments in modern Star Wars is uh, Paulus Kemp wrote Vader's kind of side of it, even saying the word snips and acknowledging that Mm. Darth Vader having that in his soul and how it affects him and even some of the stuff he saw in Rebels, how it affects you know the the Apprentice. It 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 affects him. The the connection. Um, uh, the attachment, yes, but the connection between the two is so strong, without a doubt, it would bleep her up. And I thought that was one of my favorite things about her in Mandalorian. There was that darkness. Uh, there was that, you and I joke sometimes when like we're having a grumpy week and it it, it flows into our Star Wars conversations. Her conversation with Din and, and Mando, uh, Din Mando over, over, over Grogu had a little bit of that like trust me energy. Mm-hmm. Um, clear shift and and dave is not anything uh uh, he's a lot of things but he's above all he's very protective of ahsoka he very much understands the story he wants to tell with her it's fertile ground that i think would be important and it answers some of those big jedi questions that we that that roam around this including this the the attachment the questions of it i'm excited to get to that yeah we'll be careful we don't know if that's the case but i'm excited yeah, no, I mean, I think I want to be very, you know, careful. Like we always say this, speculate responsibly, and it's be and that just means don't get so attached to the idea that you imagine that you can't see the story that's being told. I, I think the thing that excites me and makes me feel like uh, uh, responsible speculation is Filoni saying there's more story about her dealing with the truth of of what happened to Anakin. So yeah. to, to take us all the way back then to Blake's question, I feel like there is the possibility if 
a part of the Ahsoka show is her, you know, wrestling with this idea of attachment mm-hmm. and when is it a strength and when is it a weakness and and what what part of the Jedi dogma do I truly believe is is true and real and valuable and helpful. Then going to see her parents almost as a test for herself, going back to her village after the fall of the Empire when her presence isn't going to put them in danger. And yeah. you know that seems like giving herself a test of attachment, right? Of mm-hmm. if their village was destroyed in, in by the Empire, you know, mm-hmm. am I going to be able to process that? If I go and see my parents, am I going to be able to walk away? Like that mm-hmm. it could be really interesting ground for the ahsoka show to cover or goes back in there they're they're gone they passed away naturally or at the hand of the empire but naturally even right like yeah i missed it uh, that that guilt uh some of the things that maybe ate up uh anakin because she still feels you know and again i'm not saying she's gonna move home right she wouldn't go back and be like this is great is my my old room still available i know i didn't (laughs) have one but uh the old posters on the wall that i had when i was a baby uh i don't think that would be the case but like would she become like I got to sit and protect them. And does that keep her from the galaxy? These type of questions and who's more important. Yeah. I think all that could be at at play if she goes back. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So a couple other things in this, uh, uh, Blake talks about um, Katie Mundi and Dooku having direct ties to home. Obi-Wan, you know, uh, despite being unbreakable, clearly thought about his family and uh, there's a great detail in Mm Obi-Wan Kenobi when he, when Obi-Wan reveals that, Talia that he's he has vague memories of his siblings but you know mm-hmm. it, it wasn't this thing that you know the Jedi were his family they were his new yeah. family and and they were enough for him you know he didn't struggle with that the way uh, other people did uh but I was really curious so I looked up the Kiati Mundi yeah. and that there's a bunch of legends comic books where uh Kiati Mundi uh goes home and wrestles with that and I think a lot of those uh, Legends comics that were playing with the prequel characters it seemed to create a little bit more of a Jedi Order where it was a little bit like yeah yeah sure go home, go home see if yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but having just reread that uh, the audiobook uh, the the yeah. uh, the actual book version the script of Dooku Jedi Lost uh, Dooku does have that connection he ends up having these yeah. illicit hollow calls with his sister and it's an issue it's not a hey yeah every Jedi wrestles with this what do you think in in this kind of current canon it's a that's a you should not have been doing that and you certainly shouldn't have been lying about it um, yeah. so which I think in, in some ways makes it even uh, more interesting to Ahsoka's story that my take on modern canon is that for Jedi it's a it's a pretty big line that you don't cross which sets Ahsoka up to be in an interesting place of um, deciding for herself whether she agrees with how strict that rule was during her time with the Jedi Order. Uh, yeah, and I love she's outside of the order and 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 dealing with that because it's uh, we're all outside of the Jedi order, but it's still something we're going to deal with. <laughs> exactly, it's all, we always have to wrestle if we should go see your parents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but attachments of all kinds. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's interesting. And she's just, uh, that's always been kind of the thing with um, Ahsoka me, why she she emerged uh, from uh, the little sarcastic, snippy character to one of my personal favorites. I just think uh, you're able to dive into some of these big themes, uh, but also weigh it against the Jedi Order and weigh it against uh, both positive and negatively. It comes out, I think, by the way. Um, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, you know, rewatching the Clone Wars, one of the great things about her is, uh, you know, she and Anakin were sort of aligned in questioning 
rules yeah, and they were yeah. aligned in being extremely compassionate. But Ahsoka seemed to have this awareness of when her her compassion was actually turning into something selfish. Yeah. When her compassion turned into her own fear of losing someone. And that's that's the key. It's not like to me uh, of the philosophy. It's not that compassion is bad. It's when compassion curdles into uh, possessiveness and fear of loss and an inability to accept Mm -hmm. the natural cycle of of life. But if she's kind of going and spending her life going going around when she's like fulcrum and like I'm being compassionate like my master would. Well, my master's compassion turned into obsession and he is a monster. Yeah. That would really make her question her relationship with the idea of compassion and attachment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how are the two things combined? Mm hmm. And then she yeah. becomes either grumpy or peaceful. <laughs> grumpy or peaceful. The two choices. Uh, uh, final thing, and thank you for indulging me, Ken. The the I'm no Jedi line that that uh, yeah. that Blake talks about. I'm so fascinated with that um, because I I think that I, I like analyzing it from Ahsoka's point of view. She's in an emotional place. You know, Vader is taunting her. Yeah. Uh, you know, she says she will avenge her master, and avenge is different than revenge. And and mm-hmm. Vader tries to to you know breaker and spins it into uh you know revenge is not the jedi way and i'm no jedi and like oh cool applause moment right great moment but i feel like a lot of the other evidence piling up like the creator of ahsoka and the person currently telling her story dave filoni naming the episode where she appears the jedi (laughs) yes having uh, no din din isn't using the words force user Mm mm-hmm he calls her a Jedi and, and she does not, you know, yeah. correct him. Right. And yeah. she even says there aren't many of us left. So I think for me, the way I approach Ahsoka is that she broke with the order because she felt the order wasn't following up to their beliefs. I don't think Ahsoka broke with the beliefs of the Jedi. I think she is reexamining them to say, what is the spirit of it? What is the reason for these good beliefs? And how did the order go away from them? And I think that's what makes it so interesting to me. If, if she's examining attachment and saying, wow, that rule was right. The thing that people were always concerned about Anakin happened. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the reason not to get too attached, it happened to Anakin. So this is a reason for me to re-examine that and decide for myself, not just be handed the rule by the order, but to decide for myself to know it and to see it and to have my own philosophy of what attachment means to being a Jedi. Absolutely. I've always thought that episode, that statement, the I'm no Jedi, also calling the Jedi, you don't have to be sitting in the pew to talk to God, you know? And, and that's, <laughs> that's a, a, a good spot to do it, baby, but uh, you can still carry on that conversation. And that's how I, I see the journey of Ahsoka. Yeah. Great thought. Great thought. Any final thoughts before we move on? Blake, uh, congratulations. You got the title question today. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a really great question. Thank you so much uh, for asking this, Blake. Uh, hit on a lot of topics I'm very excited about in good old Star Wars. Uh, we are going to move on to a question from Steve Stewart. Uh, Steve says, hypothetically, a studio exec offers you a large sum of money to create a Star Wars TV show inspired by your favorite non-Star Wars show, perhaps a Twin Peaks-style Star Wars or a Game of Thrones-style show. What is your reaction? Excitement? Hesitation? Confusion? <laughs> uh, Ken, this is this is very fun, and, and uh, I'm excited to see your Star Wars television show. Do you do, you do it? <laughs> or are you like, uh, no, thank you, I don't want money? 
Yeah, 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 right. Now, uh, despite being a, a, a creative in this town for now 25 years, my reaction is this is a huge mistake. How did it happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, not where I'm at creatively to, to write shows, but I love this idea. I love this question, Steve. So, yeah, fear. Look, and that's any creative project, fear. I just, you know, any set I do on stage as a comic, fear is, a, <laughs> is there as well. And you have to conquer that, push past it. So I'm going to push past it. Uh, I will go this. Yes, uh, he's... Uh, Stephen, his questions highlighting Twin Peaks, a favorite show of yours, uh, Game of Thrones. Something uh, I know you watched the the first show, uh, but I, I you know live yeah. in that world a lot. Uh, but I'm going to push past even those that idea. I, I am going to go to a Cheers style Dex's Diner show. <laughs> Probably not surprising to some folks. Uh, uh, Brian Ward and I are going to start working on the scripts right now. Uh, but then you're going to push past even that uh, and go to a show called The Other Cantina, which is. Uh, done in the style of it's always sunny in Philadelphia set in a <laughs> around the corner from Chalmers in Moss Eisley. Uh, just a bunch of ne'er-do-wells that just, they're in the other cantina that you don't really go to. And that's where I'll start my pitching. <laughs> well, you don't need to stop by all means. You can keep pitching. <laughs> no, that's kind of, that, that, that's, that's got those. That's where I go. Like as far as the other shows, uh, again, yeah, uh, realistically, I, it's not for me to do, I, you know, the old Republic, era is is fertile ground still just and you know, finally getting to hey what actually is it in canon and all those kind of things uh and and, and a game of thrones style show whatever that means whatever game of thrones style means to you uh i don't think it would be uh, a bunch of beheadings and and sex position but a, a sprawling epic with a lot of characters and a battle for power it's very star wars as well as very you know mythic uh, I, I want, whether it was Dan and Dave or not, whatever the hell they were going to do, I don't know. But I, I do want that explored. It ain't it ain't for me to do, for sure. <laughs> but I do want that explored. Yeah, no, I really agree. I think I, I look forward to the old Republic era being opened up because the the era uh, in, in modern canon of many Sith Lords, not the rule of two, but mm -hmm. many Sith Lords running around, Jedi in earlier days, there's, there's lots of interesting, you know, possibilities yeah. with, with that kind of storytelling it doesn't have to necessarily be like these are the galactic battles that define that era it can just yeah. be an era where the the structure of uh mm -hmm. of who's around is different and that yeah. creates storytelling possibilities Absolutely. uh i totally agree with you my answer starts with fear uh yeah of course the the reaction is fear and excitement i think for lots of creative projects but particularly something like you know yeah I I have been uh, busy pitching shows and in movies, and there's always the like, of course I want to do this, and then you know once once you think about it being real, and you know money being at stake, and the possibility of failure being at stake, and what if you get the the dream, you get to create something that you believe in and put it on air, <laughs> think about a bunch of people going like, boo, awful, <laughs> Joker, clown, jerk, you like, yeah. of course, of course, fear should be a part of it. Uh, yeah. Fear is natural, but uh, as you said, Ken, fear is to be, yeah. to be uh, not even conquered, maybe dealt with. Um, dealt with. Not. Uh, I try to think about fear of like, did I make my choice based on fear? It's okay to be frightened, but did I not do something I want to do because of fear? Yeah, I always look at it as, as how can I cohabitate with fear because it's going to be there. <laughs> how do we get along? This is my roommate, fear. Uh, they <laughs> never do the dishes. Uh, it's very annoying, uh, but yeah, I think that's great. Cohabitating with fear, uh, your self-help book. Um, yeah, so I, I'd definitely be concerned. I would love to do a Twin Peaks style Star Wars show or for somebody to do a Twin Peaks uh, uh, style show. Um, I will keep this, uh, attempt to keep this relatively short, but one of the things I'm fascinated by with uh, 
with Twin Peaks uh, is co-created by David Lynch and, and Mark Frost. Poor Mark Frost gets uh, thrown under the bus sometimes <laughs> because David Lynch is the the more famous name. But Mark Frost yeah. has an amazing career in television and is a novelist and all sorts of things as well. Uh, but but Lynch, Lynch and Lucas are are really fascinating because of the famous, you know, Lucas asking Lynch to direct mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. And there's a very funny clip of Lynch telling the story they can find on on YouTube. But even Lynch says, like, I, I, I didn't, I'm not interested in it. It's not my thing. But, you know, but I thought, I told George he should direct it because he clearly, it's his vision. And, and Lynch, I'm paraphrasing, says something along the lines of, like, we're not that different. We both are really passionate about our visions. It's just that millions and millions of people love George's. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, within them being two of my favorite creators and, and the surface of their work being massively different, the ideas that they're interested in are very similar. There's a ton in Twin Peaks about pushing past fear and, and the idea that love is stronger than fear, but that being tested and heroes being afraid that that isn't true, that, that uh, love is stronger than fear. Uh, there's, you know, accepting darkness so you can't move, so you can move past it. Um, the main character uh, of uh, Twin Peaks, uh, at least the television show, uh, later focus gives a lot more focus to to Laura Palmer. Um, but initially, Dale Cooper is um, he's the Jedi. He is somebody who has all of this rigid uh, uh, talents. Um, he's, a, he's a Sherlock Holmes level detective. He's a great a marksman with a gun, but he also is intuitive and and opens his mind to different ideas and in the, uh, the, the idea that there's more possible than, than we see. Uh, so Cooper's basically like this Jedi trying to balance the, the precision in the technique with being open to intuition and without spoiling twin peaks, a large part of the story is does, does Dale Cooper give in to rigid control and the fear that can come with that? Or does he leave himself open to intuition? And, you know, you, you can read twin peaks as Dale Cooper is a Jedi who fails. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would love to basically tell the story of like uh, a Jedi who comes to a strange, quirky, fun community. uh, But underneath that, there's a darkness eating away at it. And the question is, will the Jedi succeed in facing the darkness or or will he be consumed by his instinct to to control the darkness and make it go away entirely? Mm. That is a great Star Wars story like you could just pitch that way and then go in in secretly. That's the story of Twin Peaks. I love it. Go picture. Go picture. Uh, <laughs> any other thoughts on uh, on Star Wars shows in different uh, television show styles? Uh, yeah. No, other than the one I always, everyone knows I love my pod racing documentary idea. If you've listened to the show long enough, um, I've stopped talking about it because someone's going to eventually just do it, right? I hope. But uh, uh, yeah, I lo- it's fascinating because you, you cut to the, the themes of shows and, and it's going to translate pretty well to anything yeah. in Star Wars. Yeah. And uh, I believe it's still happening. There's a spinoff of uh, the Harley Spin animated series on HBO Max. It's just going to be a bar. Uh, mm. So I think all everybody's jokes about it should be Cheers but X might yeah. finally be happening in the genre world. Oh, <laughs> so we'll see if that leads to the finally a, a Star Wars Cheers mashup that we've yeah, all been yeah. well, uh, clamoring for. Yeah, and Star Wars Resistance on Z's bar has a little bit of that vibe. And it I, I could does. spend a lot of time in that bar. 
Oh yeah, no, definitely. There, there's yeah. I mean, there's some great the and even for like a kid show. I remember there's like some like the <laughs> totally tipsy guy. Like, did I see that? It was, I think it's Big Al, right? Big Al, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. Fi- final thing. I just uh, there's this one quote from Twin Peaks that I that I love that I wanted to to share. Uh, so Dale Cooper has broken some FBI rules and he's being interviewed and he's supposed to put up a defense. Uh, and he says he doesn't want to offer defense. And he says, I started to focus out beyond the edge of the board at a bigger game. <laughs> and the FBI people are like, what the hell are you talking about? And, and Cooper says, the sound wind makes through the pines, the sentience of animals, what we fear in the dark and what lies beyond the darkness. I'm talking about seeing beyond fear, about looking at the world with love. That's some just straight up Qui Gon Jin yeah. stuff right there. <laughs> That's crazy. I, yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, Twin Peaks is known for lots of things. It's the pie and the donut and the scary demons, right? But yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Thank you for another great, great question, Steve. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more questions from our patrons on Patreon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we are back with more cues of the force. We're going to our patrons on Patreon. This one comes to us from Brennan Marr. Brennan says, hello, Force Center crew. I could use some counseling. I was listening to a review of the first three episodes of Andor, and it got me thinking. I'm glad Lucasfilm released all three at once, and yet I wonder if it would have made more sense to release them as one big episode. I heard someone say earlier today that the divisions between the episodes were arbitrary and haphazard. That gave me pause. I don't know how I feel about it, and I'm wondering what you think. Are these rather random, or do the episodes end exactly where they need to thematically and in terms of story? I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for all you do. Uh, thanks, Brennan, for the great thought. I also really want to make it clear that Brennan sent this question in about a month ago. And so we've seen uh, lots more of Andor and lots more of how the different episodes end, which in some ways I think has only made this question <laughs> more intriguing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Ken, where, where, where are you at currently? We've got two episodes of Andor left. We've now seen, you know, kind of three arcs in, in one uh, bridging episode in, in episode seven announcement, uh, right? Yeah. Um, how are you feeling about the episode endings, but also the, the kind of the arc structure and what that means for the individual episodes? Like it's fascinating, and I think this is going to be a shotgun blast of an answer because I go to my mind goes to a lot of different places <laughs> once here. Uh, so maybe I'll start here, kind of in the middle of my notes. As for the episodes themselves, and, and to some of Brennan's um, direct questions, there, I do think there was great intention in how and when they ended them. I think they all uh, sync up thematically. They are good beats to end. Um, some of the episodes have ended in a way that caused me to mumble to myself, and I've expressed that on the on, on, on the podcast, on the Andrew Report. But I, I think I do recognize the artistry to them. Uh, and, and on a rewatch, it won't be a problem. But that said, currently... I've only found, you know, when I, oh, because I love Andor. And so a lot of times I'm like, oh, I want, I want to go back. Uh, I'm having lunch. I want to put on an episode. I've only put on, rewatched episodes three, six, and 10, which are the ends. <laughs> and, the arc. and some of it is the endings. Uh, but, um, so, so it's, uh, I, I don't, maybe I, it's not even that any counseling. I just need to eventually take a deep breath and pull back. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I found myself, particularly episodes four and five, I, I don't know, how, upset. I don't know. I had a little bit of the, oh, come on feeling when the music started playing and a mm-hmm. lot of that is just i'm so in love with what's going on i want i want the answers i want to know but i get what they're doing and i do think it was with great in intention uh i so i would reject and i know brendan's not saying it, arbitrary and haphazard does not feel right for me to describe those endings that way mm-hmm. even someone who's had a little bit of a problem with particularly four four and five how they ended so i'll start there and i have some other thoughts yeah no i i think uh i think we're in alignment in our thoughts i thought the my experience of watching the first three episodes it were extremely, it was an extremely great viewing session. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I started it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Oh, the first episode ended. It felt so quick. Oh man, I'll, I'll, I'll smack the button for, <laughs> yeah. uh, pound that button for episode two. And then episode two ends and like that drum beat is so cool and everybody's oh. coming for Andor and I was so excited to watch episode three. And then, uh, and I did, and it was great. And I basically had a, a movie experience. I didn't even get up from my chair even yeah. once right? for those three episodes. Um, cause I was so into it. And then episode four, uh, played, uh, you know, cause I, we didn't watch that with our screeners. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I should clarify. I, we, we were lucky to have the screeners. Every, everybody had the first three episodes uh, together, but then when episode four was just kind of the beginning of the story, uh, I kind of retroactively thought about those first two episodes yeah. and I was like, oh, well, I wonder how much of my just like over the moon thrill was feeling like the, I got to see the beginning, the middle and the end of an idea of a fully finished thought. And, and of course, still heading other places. But yeah. this this arc was full and complete. Um, yeah, I got a, a press email today that they some sometime over the Thanksgiving weekend on a bunch of um, non-streaming channels, I think Freeform and other other channels that Disney owns, they're playing. Right. out there on cable in everything mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the first two episodes of andor uh i, I think because it's probably it's getting such great acclaim yeah but i was i was kind of surprised when i read it was the first two same because i do kind of wrestle with like it, on one hand that end of episode two is one of my favorite things Andor marching you know through the junkyard to to his next decision with different people yeah searching for him for different reasons those actual earth drums banging away it's so cool but also a, a little like but i want the next thought i want the next beat and, and i'm curious to see how the general public's gonna react if they're like let's give this Andor show a try and like why did it end there <laughs> uh yeah uh by the way a great guns and roses throwing walking through the junkyard <laughs> uh, i love that um uh, I want to talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, we didn't really talk about the news episode this week, but it was a little news blast uh, putting it out there. I think that's fascinating. I think it shows confidence in the show, maybe trying to get it out there. I know there's always we hear so, uh, sometimes the streaming numbers aren't as great or the engagement with Andor is a little lower. Uh, sure, uh, we've talked about what that really means sometimes, but hey, maybe that hey, let, let's try to pull some more people in. But that that's the general audience. And I, 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 I'm curious because for all the praise, this was in my notes here. For all the praise of Andor out there, all justified, all earned, I I think, my opinion, mm-hmm. I've, I've had more than a few conversations with people who said uh, that they fell asleep during repeated attempts to get through the first episode. And some who have peeled off and, and said they would watch it later. I got one friend. He's a big Star Wars fan. Some of you know him. He does stand-up comedy with me. Uh, and he, hey, from what he's heard, sounds great. Uh, he's just waiting to watch them all and hasn't seen a minute of the show yet. Uh, cause, cause he just wants to get there. And, and that's been fascinating to track the levels of, uh, either what I heard or people, again, this is a couple weeks ago. I was at this central coast film society event. And I think I, I mentioned it. There was a lot of Andor fans and a lot of people kind of using Andor to judge other parts of star Wars, which got mm-hmm. a little grumpy, but there was also a couple who were like, I don't know. I fell asleep. And that was the first two episodes. And I don't think that's, I think they're fascinating episodes. I love them. But you talk about the general audience and to Brendan's question of like, hey, how, how, what would have been the best approach? And he's asking the first three as one. Uh, that wouldn't have been the case. I think there, there's uh, something to do with the release day engagement and numbers on streaming mm-hmm. services. That's why you release two or three episodes. We're seeing that now a lot. Um, I think that's the big question. 
And it's fascinating that Brendan asked this a month before they announced, hey, we're releasing, we're releasing the first two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I so agree with you um, that I don't think the endings are arbitrary um, at all. I, I think they're thematically relevant. I think often, you know, the episodes have what I perceive to be like, here's the, the part of this overall tapestry that we're really um, that we're really focusing on that we really want to make you feel. Uh, so I think they are very carefully chosen. Um, but they also sometimes uh, the, those middle episodes of the arc do sometimes feel like, but we were, I almost feel like a sentence being cut off of like yep. the first half of the sentence you said is great, but I feel like you got interrupted in the middle of your thought. Um, yeah. So I don't think they're uh, arbitrary or haphazard, but that's the emotional response I've had to some of the endings and some of it is a hunger for like, this is really great. I want to see more, but sometimes they've been structured on a plot level to be like, uh, these are this is all of the the information and the pain and the conflict that a character is going to go through in order to help them make a decision. But we don't within that episode see them make a decision. And so we're kind of left on this emotional cliffhanger, but it's not played in any sort of traditional way. Like, uh, I guess it is kind of and or marching away. Yeah, that it's a, a kind of cliffhanger. Right. And or marching away. Um, but then there's also an element with the endings where they don't always end on the highest energy moments. You know, I think about uh, episode seven a lot, which I really, really liked. Announcement was probably one of my favorite episodes. Very powerful. Mm. You've got the second to last scene, the penultimate scene of Andor being dragged away because of the Empire's new Dacronian rules that he accidentally helped create uh, with the, you know, take it up with the Emperor. That's a high moment. That's an actual kind of cliffhanger, right? Yeah. But then we cut back to uh, Cyril feeling utterly small and imprisoned, and it, and it's not arbitrary at all. It's the, how we began the episode as well, so it's a, a sort of emotional bookend. But it's a really distinctive choice to be like, we could end on this big high note, you know, but we just we decide to go to this softer moment, you know. Yeah, and and look, what we're describing is one of the reasons people love Andor. So I, I think I think both you and I are are really understanding and, and maybe even standing by the choices artists to do this as an entire team of creatives making this show. I don't need it to end like a, a traditional moment every time. Uh, it's just, I've, I've had, you know, I've had reactions to it that I, I again, to Brenda's question, I, I don't know myself. I wrestle with it. I'm sure I'm not going to, but again, I'm not going to wrestle with it six months from now when I watch sit down and watch the series on a, you know, two weekend bender. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, right. When you can, well, when you can just hit play on the next episode, then you can control if it's a movie or not. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think there's no, to me, there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to look at it. It's personal taste. I, you know, I'll go to music a lot. I am a, give me four minutes and a radio hit song. Give me a complete journey. I don't love artistic jam bands that take nine minutes to get to uh, non hooks. That's just me. <laughs> but that might be you, you know? And it's like, so um, I've, I had times to struggle with, with some of the endings with Andor, but they all, they all hit every episode hits. And that's, that's at the end of the day, what you need. Yeah. I mean, I, I do struggle with some of the endings. It's not like, I don't think they're like, Poo, the, these, these people don't know what they're doing. They're making distinctive artistic choices. And I, I feel like I can kind of uh, uh, receive what I believe is intended. I could be wrong about what's intended and I can probably read more interviews to it. <laughs> to, to see. Uh, but, uh, but there's a difference between like, you know, respecting the choice and does it work for you? And I, and I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. We talk about, you know, analyzing art is something that 
can be subjective, that, that it often is subjective. And I think that a couple of the big questions that are floating around in here is, you know, this isn't a question of are the endings right or wrong? Are the, is the episode structure right or wrong? The question is, does it work for you? Uh, the artists are saying something and then you get to decide. And I think uh, these, these two big questions that I think we should ask ourselves and come to opinions if we want and, and call them that uh, opinions, not correct facts. But one of them is, you know, what do you think an episode of television should be? Not a right or wrong answer because we're in a period with all these streaming shows that have different structures. Some of them have been broken down from movies and you can still feel the yeah. movie structure. Um, some of them are kind of just trying to figure out, well, what is a limited series event? What is the right length? I mean, that was the, one of the only things that people were concerned about at, at the beginning of uh, at season one of Mandalorian is what is the right length for an episode, you know? Yeah. Um, and all of that goes to we're in this this point where you know, for for a long time, particularly if you're, you know, Generation X or older like us, that it was regulated. It's a 22 minute sitcom, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know? whatever it is, 48 minute, 47 minute drama. Those are the lengths mm -hmm. of a television show. Mm -hmm. But I think we're in this period where you can watch something like Andor and just go, what do I <laughs> yeah. enjoy as an episode of television? Does it, does it? Each individual episode need to have its own shape, its own complete thought, even though it's explicitly part of another thought. Is that how I define television show? Is it just, hey, whatever whatever the artists want to show me, is it, a, is it a make or break for you that the main character must make at least one decision in this episode? <laughs> is that a make or break for the way you define uh, yeah. television? Because it's up for grabs what an episode of television should be. And I think that's kind of at the heart of this. What's fascinating is whether you intended to do this or not, you brought something up uh, with Mando, uh, not to contrast, compare, just bring them up. Uh, remember, particularly season one, we've got the adventure of the week. We've got the side quest. And what was kind of the general, again, general complaint? <sighs> this doesn't have anything to do with the story. It's not moving the story forward. <laughs> and those were perfectly self-contained episodes in a lot of ways. I think thematically they were still connecting and they were building maybe in ways some folks couldn't see or ways we're waiting to figure it out. But it's interesting to know. Now here we are. And it's sometimes what is the, the whiplash of discussing uh, pop culture or specifically Star Wars. Now we got Andor going, hey, uh, it's not contained. It's all one thing. <laughs> it's all this story we're moving forward. And we're going to let you kind of uh, roast in those uh, uh, juices for a little bit here. Simmer uh, like a fine broth. And it's just, yeah, you're taking me back to, to um, uh, even myself with first season of Mando. Kind of like, okay, so this is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. Yeah. You got to yeah. find what you, what you take to the, the best, I guess, or the most. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, like I, I think a season of storytelling should be like a, a feast, a banquet, but each individual episode should be its own dish, you know, mm -hmm. where it, it has a beginning and middle and end, even if that's just thematically. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I think Andor is, is playing with that. You know, I, I think mm -hmm. in general, the episodes do have a, a real thematic um, core cores to them. Uh, but sometimes they, they feel like there are scenes where just like, we're just moving this forward. We're just moving this forward and yeah. it's going to pay off, but we're just moving it along. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I think Man Mando and Boba Fett kind of did that too. They're, they're moving it, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. moving it. It's just some, some particularly again, Mando self-contained, but at the end uh, it gets to where it needs to as much like Andor. It's fascinating, but it's two different, totally different flavors. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think it, 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 there's also this question uh, that we can ask ourselves as as our own personal tastemakers of what do you want the end of an episode of television to be or the episode of uh, end of a Star Wars episode, right? It, it, do you want the last moment to be a sort of tone poem moment that drives home the emotion of the episode, right? Or should it end on the highest energy beat? Should it be closer to a literal cliffhanger? What do you like and prefer, you know? Yeah. It's a big question. Look, I'm a I'm an early Wes Anderson fan. I kind of peeled off a little bit. Uh, nothing with him just wasn't my style as much anymore. But some of that, like I love Rushmore because there's no clear ending. Just kind of, hey, we're all fine. We're sad, but we're good. <laughs> I guess you know. I actually uh, am a am a life aquatic fan, and it's just like, yeah, we, we, with the, the themes have wrapped up. Now it's uh, David Bowie song. So yeah. Um, and those are open-ended in a lot of ways for you to interpret it. So I've been enjoying what the Andor stuff has done, even when it challenges me, which again, art should at times. Yeah. And I think for me with like the endings of shows, like I think because Star Wars has it's some of its history and adventure serial that I kind of like a little bit of a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. um, I don't need it, but that's something that I personally like. Uh, but endings change over time, you know, especially as broadcast television and in early uh, sort of... Um, well, prestige television, right? Uh, for a while there, I want to think like mid 2000s, late 2000s, it was this kind of new fascinating thing that like there'd be story threads like uh, the television show House in particular. And then sometimes like the last five minutes would just be, you know, a, a great song while everybody kind of sits in their mood, right? You know, and, and pretty soon it got to be just like, uh, if another show ends with the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want while the characters just look out the mother bleeping window. It was so cool when it started and it so quickly became like yeah. a cliche, a pastiche. You know, the uh, the first couple episodes that did that felt fresh and illuminating to the characters. Yeah. And by the end of that, it just felt like, ah, you didn't write an ending. So it's just house staring out the window to the Rolling Stones again. Great. You know? <laughs> Time changes what I think a good ending of an episode is. That's a, I am waiting, ting, I am waiting, ting. Oh, yeah. There we go. Wes Anderson reference. Uh, now I just want to see Andor episodes put to different pop songs. Uh, <laughs> pop songs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So lots to wrestle with. I think in some ways our biggest takeaway is what you said, Ken. When, uh, when people choose over the years... To sit down and rewatch Andor, uh, the endings are not going to be as vital. Yeah. 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 Already, already the case with me, but yeah. 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 All right. Great question. Thank you very much, Brennan. We're going to move on to our final question from our friend Alden Diaz. Alden's a longtime listener uh, and supporter of Force Center, uh, but also your partner, Ken, on on your other, uh, your Game of Thrones podcast, right? Yeah. Casterly Talk. We got an Alden question. Hold on. Let me get a snack. This might be a while. <laughs> it's a good I'm one. Ready. I'm ready. Uh, here's what Alden has to say. Hello there, friends. I hope all's well in the Force Center fleet. As of late, let's talk about non-canon Star Wars characters. I've been doing a lot of thinking about the stuff I love in Legends and canon-adjacent material. We've had some big moments of characters being brought into the main storyline in direct ways, like with Thrawn and Rebels, or subtle ways like with Revan's inclusion in the Rise of Skywalker visual dictionary and novelization. So who are you all hoping to see get a more defined role in the overall tapestry of canon Star Wars I always think we should caution ourselves and other fans against thinking that canon status matters more than emotion or love for the story or character, because ultimately canon is more of a guiding light than a hard science. But of course, there's always joy in seeing things used in new contexts. For example, my uh, big two are what I call canon adjacent 
They're from the Disney Lucasfilm era, but their status is intentionally ambiguous. I'm talking about the sabered hand, Kelleran Beck from Jedi Temple Challenge, and F from the Village Bride in Visions. I'd love to see a great writer, creator, find a place for them somewhere in the timeline. What do you all think? Special shout out to Jennifer, who I'd wager would choose someone from the Ewok films or series. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is a great question from Alden yeah. about, uh, yeah, the, those Legends characters making their way into canon or the new kind of canon adjacent, don't worry about it too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of uh, storytelling that we can have uh, from from modern Star Wars storytelling. So, Ken, where do you go? First of all, I, I feel confident that we could answer for Jen a little bit. We never want to answer for Jen, but she's not here for the, the answer question answer show. I think Princess Nisa from the Ewoks film series would be. Oh, yeah. Because it's a canon character, but we haven't explored that character enough. And and that's 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 Chirpa's heir, man. <laughs> like, come on. I think there's some stuff there. Uh, you think Princess Nisa helped uh, take down that uh, Star Destroyer above uh, Endor? 100%. Uh, 100%. <laughs> uh, I love that there. Uh, that's, that's great. No, great question. And actually, Kelleran Beck is a great answer and would be one of my answers, especially in this modern era. Uh, I know a lot of people love Visions. Uh, Visions is spectacular. I didn't connect with as much as others, but there's a lot of choices in that that you could absolutely kind of uh, find a way uh, to, to get into Star Wars. And the, the Village Bride one is a great example of that. But Heather M. Beck, yes, because I, I, I'm just such a fan of Ahmed Best, the human. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Jar Jar as a character over time has just become uh, more important to me. Keller and Beck is just—it's a wonderful character, the, and the backstory, and and that nickname, the sabered hand, like, and, and the love Ahmed had for that character, and we were a fan of that show, the game show. There, the—I would love to see that. That is that is a great answer. Probably would have been one I would have put on. Um, but for me, going beyond that uh, to the larger picture of expanded universe legends canon, uh, for me, clearer defined roles for some of the Sith legends. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned. Um, Revan. Um, but this is just so I can keep track easier of who actually like Revan, yes, Malik, no, Darth Tenebrous, maybe. Like I think he's uh, mentioned in a visual dictionary. Uh I uh I'm a fan of the character Maris Brood from Force and Leech, which was a, a character designed in a different era, is how I show, mm-hmm. describe it. But also a fascinating character of a of a of a Padawan apprentice loses master kind of warped by the dark side and the energies of the planet uh, that they're on. Like, I, I like that. So that's an answer. And then two kind of specific answers that would love to see kind of them pulled in. Um, Talon card is one of my go-to answers. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a special, I, I love the, the Zon air, the empire trilogy has a special place in my heart because it kept Star, Star Wars going. It's also over time is it's not my favorite, but the, the characters and, and the ideas, there's some great stuff in there. Thrawn being a great example. Rook, another example. Uh, they've shown up. Talon Card is fascinating. This underworld kind of character. Uh, I think a bit of a redesign of the character. Has a very early 90s goatee on him. Get that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just goatee out. And uh, redesign. There's just, there's, and there's always room for underworld characters, right? It's so vast in Star Wars. I think that's fascinating. And then my final answer, uh, going back to the Force Unleashed, I, I did. Lo- I love the game series. Second game, I know, wasn't everyone's favorite. I played it. I, g- I get the notes. The first one was really fun and and was an interesting game. Uh, Rom Coda from Force Unleashed, who is the former mm. Jedi now blind, who is on the wall in the Kenobi series. That name is on the wall. So mm. there again comes this like, is it a fun, 
You know, is it just a fun nod or could it be more? I don't think they have anything planned. That's what I'm not what I'm suggesting, but that, hey, the name exists. Um, that's the fun thing. The legends are always there. Those books and stories and comics and games don't go away, especially if, if, if they were your Star Wars and got you into Star Wars, which is the value of that time period. Um, that's a, that's a character I've always loved. In fact, when Kanan, I may have even said this on the Jedi Collider days, Jedi Council days, when Kanan went blind, I was like, oh, they're doing a Rom Coda thing. And I don't think that's necessarily true, but they had that same vibe, same energy. So those are my answers. Those are great answers. I, I love the answers and I, and I love the rationale. Um, uh, I believe the Star Wars Forces of Destiny is still considered canon, but yeah, I agree with Alden. We shouldn't get too caught up in it, but um, Princess Nisa did have that great appearance there. Yep. Um, we want more, more Nisa uh, <laughs> than just in Forces of Destiny. Uh, Forces of Destiny was great, but mm-hmm. more Nisa would be great. Uh, I agree with you and Alden. Sabred Hand, I, I just, I, I do, I, I love how much of a backstory mm-hmm. that uh, Ahmed Best created for Kelleran Beck. Um, I always want more tales of specific Jedi in, in specific era eras. I think a lot of, you know, uh, the familiarity with Jedi is from that prequel era where we're being showed a, a lot of Jedi who were a little bit more rigid, a little bit more lockstep. And I think I love the High Republic for showing us more Jedi with more perspectives and more personality and, and more differences. And uh, I would love to see that with a sabered hand, you know, um, put them in, in whatever era works best. Uh, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. Um, my other answers <laughs> uh, are uh, a little weird. Um, so I, I read that Kenobi novel, uh, which was like the last novel before the, the legends change. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, Kenobi has a Neopi named Rue. He's got Neopi in the Obi-Wan television show. Part of what I want is I just I just want confirmation that that's Rue. Uh, if <laughs> yeah. if uh, Lord Advisor Pablo Hidalgo could get that scrawled on a wall, so I could cling to the hope that <laughs> that EOP is Rue, uh, I would love that very much. Mm. Um, I don't know if I mean this as a jokey answer or if it's a a real one. Uh, but we were talking about the Star Wars holiday special, and I'm fascinated by Krellman. <laughs> Yes, yes, you are. Part of it's the heartbreak. Part of it's the pouring alcohol directly onto his brain through a hole in his head. Uh, that that's pretty fascinating. But I, I, I mean, I really wouldn't mind with the amount of like fun that people have had taking taking characters who kind of used to be a part of that. Let's all joke about them. Uh, the way Kevin Scott has, yeah. you know, uh, lifted the the world of Jackson on his on his shoulders and elevated Jackson to the point that you got an action figure. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it would be fun to see Crawlman in the background of a bar. You know, if anybody ever does a a Star Wars cheer show, <laughs> let's get Crawlman in there. You know. And, and find out who that character is. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and then this, uh, this is a, a waking up and, and choosing chaos moment. Uh, mm. But I am intrigued by Mara Jade. And I, and I oh. know that is just, uh, that, that is uh, playing with explosives, right? Because <laughs> she has such a long and specific and beloved story in Legends. And I know mm. that it would be a, a lightning rod. Yeah. But, I think uh, I I don't need to see, you know, Luke married and all that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Same. But the, the part of the Mara Jade story that that's in intriguing to me is, you know, famously the emperor's hand, Mm -hmm. this assassin. But now if if you introduced her into Canon, which should be a different kind of inquisitor, which should be somebody that, you know, that Palpatine had a bunch of different, eh, if Vader becomes a problem, I'm kind of keeping, 
this yeah. person under in in the back, you know, kind of thing. Um, that would be really interesting to me. And, and I think the the idea of you know the role that Marjade plays in those original Thrawn novels, which I haven't read in, in a long time, but the idea of Luke really having a direct relationship with someone who experienced the dark side fully, right? Who can kind of uh, help him put his own experiences and his father's experiences into, into perspective at a pivotal time. That would be really interesting to me. Yeah. I think that'd be Mara Jade is one of the, the big ones. Thrawn is always big and then Thrawn shows up and, and I think Mara Jade might be the number two on that list. Right. Uh, Maybe even number one, a lot of people's hearts to get on that list. And it's, it's fascinating. And I've always said like over the time, uh, Mara Jade wasn't one of my favorite characters, but uh, you know, you got to pull back and realize that was for many people, um, an important character. And for a lot of female fans, if that's, uh, that was, that was your choice for a bit. And that's why it was, it's a very powerful character, Leia as well and others, but you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. that Marjade represents a, a lot of good things in Star Wars. So a recontextualized version, layering her in over the new uh, canon. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be fascinating. It's the big one. It still hangs over that. Maybe Dash Rendar might be number three. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jackson was four and Kevin Scott took care of that. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't go on that journey, but I just kind of, I, I perused Marjade's, um, you know, uh, yeah. Wikipedia entry to remind myself and like, I really do get the journey that a lot of legends people went on of reading these stories for years and years and years, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's long, they lived a life with this character, you know? So I, I do understand the attachment and mean no disrespect to that. So, it, but it's always an interesting experiment to me, like what with a character like Thrawn of like, okay, the specific beats, don't necessarily fit into our, our current storytelling, but what is the essence of the character? Yeah. And and can you get that across is always fascinating to me. Love that. Love that. Yeah. So that is it. Ken, we've answered uh, the cues of the force, but we do have a power of the light side submission. Nice. Uh, this is something we put a call out to patrons on Patreon to just share something joyful about Star Wars. Uh, this comes to us from Lightspeed Bear. Lightspeed says, hi, Force Center. Hope you're all doing well. You talk about the Star Wars buffet, a sentiment I absolutely love. And while some go for the Jedi and lightsaber roast turkey dinner, <laughs> for me, my eyes go straight to the Starfighter and space battle pasta liberally covered in Parmesan side of the galaxy far, far away. It's what made me fall in love with the franchise all those years ago, hanging out in my brother's bedroom while he worked, sketching pictures of X-Wings and B-Wings on pads of paper and dreaming up elaborate moves as they battled the Empire. It's been tons of great moments involving ship combat over the years, but for me, the scene where the Alliance fleet emerges from hyperspace in Rogue One is the pinnacle. The cavalry coming over the hill might be a trope that's been done before, but I don't think I'll ever forget the feeling of utter joy watching that unfold on the big screen. It's all I could talk about afterwards. The film in general had outstanding space combat sequences, but those few seconds in particular had me pumping my fist with happiness, which for someone who usually sits quietly watching a film was quite an achievement. Can't wait to hopefully see more of that kind of thing in Rogue Squadron and beyond. Keep up the amazing work you do. Thank you very much, and thank you for the uh, amazing entry. Uh, Ken, I know uh, that this is a discussion of a mm-hmm. of a moment that means a lot to you, the actual arrival of the fleet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, thoughts, reactions? It- yeah, it's weird to watch me watch that scene. We're like, why is this grown man crying? Because Space Fish Man said the Rebel Alliance is here. Uh, <laughs> it still gets me. It still gets me because it just means uh, I think I'm hyper focused on it for sure. But it, it has to do with growing up and 
uh, seeing this is the Rebel Alliance and, and, and seeing this moment where it's maybe perhaps truly born. And there's a lot of big moments on the way there. A lot of them have to do with Mothma, her speech, some of the stuff we're learning in Andor. Absolutely. It's this big, wonderful tapestry. But it means a lot. In the early days of the Force Center, I always said that thing of, ah, I'm kind of a war over the lore person. Eh, it wasn't insightful for me. It just, they kind of rhymed. Uh, all that meant was I did not grow up uh, focusing on the Jedi or Jedi philosophy as much. I, I was, um, you, you and I came of age in the same era, and I was definitely one of those kids who were like, oh, you're a boy, here's your toy gun, go into the forest and play. Like, that <laughs> that, that was kind of, uh, not even for my parents, like parents' friends, and like, that was just kind of the thing, right? And um, you can look back at it <laughs> weirdly or with a, with a one-eye kind of eyebrow raise, but that was, that was it. Here's your guns, go play in the forest. Uh, go play army. So therefore, Return of the Jedi and a battle on the Force. I was pulled in by all of that stuff. But it's funny to look at it now, especially the last couple of years, spending a lot of time focusing a little bit more on the Jedi, listening to you and your talks on the Jedi, the justice for the Jedi, and analyzing it. Even today, what do we got with Ahsoka? I think the Jedi and the story around them focus on matters of the heart and that the the war side of it focuses on maybe matters of action, matters of the mind. Like once you get your heart right and you make a decision, choose the side, empathy, compassion, all these things, attachment, and you decide to get involved and help, the action of that is kind of what you see with the Rebel Alliance. And I think they work in concert so well together. And, and I think listening to Lightspeed Bear talk, I get it. I'm right there with you. It's so important. And I think that's – it's. Um, that third act of Rogue One, I always say, best Star Wars that ever Star Wars. Man, I got to see a Star Destroyer just smash into a rebel ship. <laughs> like it, it, oh, I got to see Y-Wings in action. And it scratches that itch, but it all uh, matters for the themes of Star Wars. And again, that's why I'm moved by Apparatus coming out. Of, hey, this Apparatus Rebel Alliance, we're here. We have settled the matter of our heart, and now it's time to take action. And that's why it's important. Yeah, well, well said. You, you get a Force Center t-shirt, imaginary t-shirt, well said, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think connecting the idea of the philosophy of how do we fight? Why am I fighting? Am I clear on how this is making a difference? Am I clear what's in my heart? And now the action must be taken because there are truly people in desperate need. Um, yeah, that, that, that philosophy between the heart and the action is is great and and really well said. I think for me that Raddus moment is uh yeah, we we grew up with the brave rebels. We didn't we got to see Luke kind of joining the fight. We got to see Han kind of wrestle but then join the fight, right? Uh yeah. but the rebellion already existed, right? So it was like uh, it's the hero that was promised, right? That we've believed in, right? And then we see that hero doubt. And then when Radish shows up and says, you know, we're the Rebel Alliance, like the hero I've believed in is here. You know, yeah. I wasn't wrong to believe. Yeah. Um, it's got that that great strength. The Titan shall come and the Titan is Radis. Um, And I agree with Lightspeed Bear. That's one of my favorite, you know, space battles, I think, because the the stakes are really clear. The That just horde, the huge horde of, of TIE fighters flying out right is mm. is thrilling um but but radis's move with getting the shield gate down i i love action moves that are about the creativity or intelligence of of the person involved right mm. and you know a, a kind of a lesser action scene like uh somebody will win because they're stronger right yeah cool whatever or it's the hero and they got in the the winning blow because they're the hero uh, and then there's, to me, great scenes where, like, it, it's so the Rebel Alliance for Radis look around going, like, well, we're, we're kind of, we're outnumbered and we're outgunned, but we have this specific objective. What tools do we have? What can we combine? And 
creatively, you know, like he he spins you know, on his seat. Like, I got idea. <laughs> I love that. It, that's what makes it, it's it's cool, amazing action, but it's thrilling because it's his idea, his creative idea. You know, yeah. And that's what I'm hoping to see more of in any any future uh, space battle combat. We've heard this from different listeners over the years that this is one of the things they really love. It was such a, one of the main ingredients of of Star Wars, right? Mm. And even if this particular film, Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron, doesn't happen, I really hope a, a film or a television show that really puts mm. you know the focus on on pilots space battles those techniques those stakes i really hope that comes around sooner rather than later yeah look especially when you focus on the war side of it even even in our real world it is it is it, 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 at the same time the absolute worst of us and the worst of humanity right this horrendous thing but in that you find uh great actions and, and heroes emerge even heroes on both sides right george would say i, I think it's valuable to analyze it and particularly from the side of the rebels in this case or, 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 or beyond with something like what Rogue Squadron might have been or still maybe could be. Yeah, exactly. So thank you very much, Lightspeed Bear. That's a great Power of the Light side. If you're a patron, we still got that post up and you want to share a Power of the Light side submission, uh, we encourage you to do so. But that is it. Ken, do you want to let people know where they can find us? It would be my honor and a pleasure. We're on Twitter at Four Center Pod. We're on Instagram as well. YouTube, don't forget, call to action. We're looking to four sixty five hundred subs to grow the channel and presence there. Facebook page is Four Center Podcast. We're available on a lot of different platforms, including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Just search. You'll find us merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash four center. It's been a while since we've added something. We'll say it's hard to keep a Star Wars shirt up there. They keep coming down. So even our main logo <laughs> shirt's not up. We're going to find a way to get that out to you too. And maybe one day we'll de- design that well said. And you all can get a well said from four center. Patreon.com slash four centers where you can support us directly from there. You can get into our Discord server. And you can follow me at Catnapsock or go to my website, catnapsock.com. Yeah, and I do uh, have a Game of Thrones, Rings of Power, and we're going to be covering Willow uh, called Casterly Talk. Alden Diaz is on there. Uh, Nikki Kumar comes in there. Some of you might know him from the Imperial Senate podcast, Rachel Cushing Levine. Uh, Lauren Roman from the Galactic podcast has shown up. A lot of great names. So uh, check us out there. Joseph, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on social media, Twitter for now, riding out the storm. I'm also on Instagram if you want to give me a follow there, uh, on TikTok, and I am on Mastodon. Uh, in particular, uh, we have been putting out the call to action at the beginning of this episode about uh, YouTube subscriptions. And, and while you're subscribing to Four Center, uh, please visit me, uh, my YouTube channel, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm putting out more uh, short films and comedy bits, and I'm also uh, posting my not unboxing videos as YouTube shorts right now. So go check that out if you are interested. Uh, But for now, for myself, uh, for Ken, and of course, for Radis, this has been Questions of the Force. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.